Welcome to another Miko Pellet hosted webinar. I'm Jamil, and I want to thank everyone for joining us today for this one on one conversation between longtime friends and Palestinian justice activists, Miko Pellet and Robert Martin. So, today's guest, Robert Martin, is an Australian activist um, who's speaking, us, speaking with us from uh, Melbourne. Um, Robert was drawn to Palestine um, during the commencement of Israel's attack on Gaza. And Robert began to investigate what was actually happening in Palestine to see that for himself. Um, he knew that he couldn't really rely on mainstream media for the truth. So he decided to see what was going on and share that knowledge and truth telling with, um, with the world really through various uh, online channels. I'm sure you've seen his videos um, and read some of his stuff as well. So thanks so much for joining us today, Robert, um, especially given how uh, early in the morning it is over there in Australia. Um, we are going to be live streaming this conversation to Miko's Facebook page, so feel free to share this with people who didn't register ahead of time. Please share it on your timeline. Just go to facebook.com slash Miko Pellet official. Um, we always make these webinars available to rewatch um, on MikoPellet.com and via the Miko Pellet podcast, which I highly encourage you to subscribe to. Um, so that should be out in a couple of days. Uh, Max, try and get it up today. Um, and after the discussion today, we're going to do the audience Q&A. Um, so hopefully in about 60 minutes or so, but we'll see where the conversation leads us. But just use that Q&A button in the Zoom toolbar at the bottom of the screen to submit your questions at any point during the event. And I think that's going to do it for me. This is a, sh a short one for me. So I'm going to hand it over to Miko uh, and Robert Martin. Thanks, Jamil. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, Robert. Um, I am really, really pleased to have you. Robert Martin um, is one of the smartest, funniest sons of bitches I have ever met. He's a great sure, friend, a great friend, courageous, funny, and, uh, and honest. And so we've been friends for a while. And uh, the story of my life has been kind of weird. It's been, um, you know, when I used to teach karate, at first, I was like Sensei Miko. Then when I had kids, I was, oh, wait a minute. Aren't you so-and-so's dad? Aren't you Eitan's dad, Tali's dad, Dorani's dad? And I went, wait a minute. I'm the guy, and suddenly I'm somebody, I'm referred to as somebody else's dad. So what, what happened to my, you know, my position? And with Palestine, I used to be, oh, hey, you're Miko Pellet. How cool. And then it went to, oh, wait, aren't you the guy that was with Robert Martin at that thing? So it seems to be the story of my life that I go from, you know, being somebody to being somebody who stood next to somebody. Well, hopefully we can get you to being somebody again. But some uh, I don't know. I think it's a lost cause. But I think with you, uh, with you, the last time we met, uh, you came to Washington, D.C. I picked you and came up at the airport. And I was laughing so hard that I got lost and it took us about two hours to get home. That's right. You did too. 35 minutes. And that seems to be kind of the story of our, of every time I'm with you, we're laughing so much that I don't know what the hell we're doing and where we are. I I'm starting remember, to laugh again. I'm starting do, to laugh again. I do remember, I do remember a few instances in Palestine where uh, you got us into a lot of trouble with uh, army and police, Israeli army, Israeli police. And I do remember once where we were actually not even doing anything. We were just walking in the old city. We did absolutely nothing wrong. And still we were detained and arrested, but not arrested. Through our bags, the, you know, the whole bags, lot. Through our everything. And then I don't know what the hell happened and why they stopped us, but I'm sure it was your fault. 
your fault? Um, when I was in Australia, I was in Melbourne 2012. That was one of the best trips I've ever, ha I ever had. One of the best international trips I had, if not the best. Um, I didn't meet you at all. You weren't really in the picture. And then, I don't know, a year, two years later, um, suddenly we're friends and we're talking and you're, you've got my book and you're like this guy who's interested in Palestine. Um, and what happened? Yeah, I mean, what happened? You know, you weren't there at all. It wasn't really something that you were interested in, it seemed like. And then you delved into Palestine deeply, deeply, deeply and very, very seriously. So mm -hmm. what happened? Uh, I've got a, a very, very close friend of mine, Nasser Mashni, who is a Palestinian. Over the years, he kept telling me things that were going on in Palestine. And I never really thought about it. You know, this is the deaths, killings, uh, the occupation, all of these particular things that we all know that Israel is doing to the Palestinians. What changed me, so I'd hear it from Nasser during the day. I'd go home and I'd see the news and the news would say something completely different. So the news would every time say anything to do with the Palestinians, they would use the word terrorists. They also wouldn't say their names. They wouldn't say they're a loving father. It would be basically like a number and they were just killed. You know, uh, they died. Not they were murdered, but they died. On the flip side, every time they used a, uh, an Israeli died, they would say a loving father of two, uh, wife, all of these things, you know, helped in the community. They were perfect um, civilian. And so, it did its job, which is bizarre because my best friend telling me all of these things didn't go through me because of what the media was saying. And so I started to read into it. And I really, as I, the more I got into it, the more I couldn't believe the blatantness of the way the media portrayed it all. And so I, I started doing some uh, social media. I started you know, speaking to people in Gaza during the Gaza strikes, which... I was, I could hear them as they were doing it. I became pretty close to some Palestinians. So it was. How did you do? How did you, how did you get into it? What did you, what, how did you get into it? Uh, through Nasser one day crying in his office in the morning when I went in there. And he said that, and I said, you know, what's going on, man? And he said, look, when the kids look like your kids, it's very hard not to be emotional because the Palestinian kids, darker skin, looked exactly like his kids. All he could imagine is his kids getting killed. And that was really the pinnacle of it, the really the, the turning point for me. Uh, and I, so I got, got onto Facebook and because I'm white, non-religious, not Jewish, everything that I said went a whole lot further than whatever NASA said. Now, word for word, if we did word for word stuff, he might get one person look at it, whereas I'd get hundreds. And so with that became a responsibility as far as I was concerned. I was in a position to be able to do it. I had the time to do it. I had, I wanted to do it. I thought if I could make some change, I will make some change uh, and go from there because the media wasn't enabling us to make an informed decision based on true facts. Uh, and that's, and that's sort of how it happened to the point where, you know, in the end people said to me, cause you know, I had a quite a few followers on the page or different pages. You know, I said, how do you know? And I said, you know what? You're correct. Correct. And how do you know? Uh, and they, you know, didn't want to hear that. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go over. And over I went. I didn't really have planned tours. I went to when go. Did you go to when village. did you go? Because we Just went together the, once, but when did you go the first time? After the Gaza strike, the last one. So 20, Because you couldn't get in. 2014, 2015? 2015. Yeah. 
So, um, how long did you stay there? Six weeks, I think, thereabouts. Oh, and, tell, you know, tell, me, tell me about the trip. Be, best yet frustrating yet confronting trip that you can go. I watched a lot of videos before I went over there. I watched, uh, you know, footage of everything, read about it. When you're coming into Allenby Bridge and you have soldiers coming in with M16s but then so you have some came in through Jordan you came in over the bridge cool. through Jordan yeah, yeah I, wasn't, I wasn't going to go through the other way yeah. uh, so when they come on the bus it's very confronting you know you've got um, casual guys with white t-shirts holding some serious weaponry and then you've got also the soldiers coming on with serious weaponry uh, which is confronting and they want white people over there that's what they want they want people like me Maybe the ones that don't think like me, but they want me so that they can convert into, you know, Israeli followers. It scared the hell out of you. It was scared the bejesus out of you. And anyone that says it's not scary, there's something wrong with them. So, you know, I went went through there. Uh, I then went to, as I went up to the, um, you know, the bits that you go through, I had a lady, you know, an attractive Israeli soldier. So, you know, next come up. And she said, you know, where are you going? And I said, look, I don't really know directions at all. But what I do have, I have an itinerary. And I printed up on an itinerary that was completely false. It had um, uh, Christians for Israel tours. It had all of these tours. Uh, and she, her whole face just lit up. Like, you know, I was a beacon coming here to just become Israeli. Uh, and so they let me in. Before that, I had disabled my all my social medias because I was told that that could be a problem. Uh, but when she went through my things, I went through and said, you come through, sir. And I, I'll never forget it. I probably shouldn't have done it this way. But as I've walked through, I've did my, uh, tore it up and put it in the first bin. So she turned around and she would have seen me putting that in the bin. And then out of my other bag, I pulled out my real notes and, uh, and my trip began. And uh, it was it was um, bizarre, but where'd bizarre. Go? Where'd you go? Uh, so I went so to hold on. So you're this you're this Australian white guy, never been to Palestine. Um, you you're coming in with with a lot of um, information that you've learned through social media through. Your friend Nasser through your own research, but you've heard and, actually, and through your book too, Miko. Let's let's be honest here. Let's not go, you know. But your book was a you know an intricate part oh of my, my book. opening. We can discuss that. Yeah, what's that book called again? My book, The General Son. That's it. So we can discuss that in a few minutes too. All right. Okay. Absolutely. So my 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 book, I'm sure, was yeah instrumental. And then you cross the bridge. You go through this very confrontational. And people, I think, sometimes don't appreciate just how violent and confrontational, not necessarily that you have to have, you know, a confrontation with the soldiers, but just seeing the weapons, like you said, seeing these, you know, there's the contractors who wear kind of civilian clothes, and then you've got the soldiers who are, you know, obviously in, in, in uniform with, with the guns, with this attitude that's, that's a mean and not welcoming at all, unless... You look like you, and you've got this itinerary that says you're going to look for Jesus and and you love Israel because you know all these evangelical Christians do. So now you're there for the first time. You don't speak Arabic. 
what the hell do you do? Where do you go? Just just on that, when I, they allowed me to go through, I did see some Palestinian people, families, being completely held up as well. So that I got a, it was confronting before I even got in, to, because you could see, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to see what they were doing to these families. Yeah. You know, they were making one go sit further away for a little while, then allowing, you know, the other one to go. The kids who had to go elsewhere. It, it's just a, uh, a, a, a maniacal position that the uh, that the Israelis are in. I also think it's similar to, I don't know if you like Star Wars, but Star Wars are the stormtroopers because they look, they're blatant. You cannot miss them. They are blatant and they're there to be blatant. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got the families and the communities and, you know, the mums, the dads, the daughters, the uncles, uh, you know, that seem shorter than the soldiers because maybe it's the way they're walking or, you know, all of these sorts of things, the boots that the, uh, the soldiers wear. And so you're right. You, everywhere you go, it is confronting and it is violent, whether it's mentally violent. And it's oppressive. Uh, it's, very, it's a very oppressive. Uh, I've, I've gone through that bridge as well. It's very, very... It's very, very oppressive. It's very, it's very, it's that sense of somebody's, you know, over. It's almost like visiting a prison. It's almost like going through a prison, yeah. a, a, a prison guard. It's very similar to when I went to visit, when I was working on my second book on the Hurlan Foundation, and I went in to see uh, these guys in federal prison. It's that same when you go through the guards, when you go into the prison, it's that same oppressive kind of atmosphere. That they created the check at that uh, particular <clears throat> at the bridge when you cross through, but now you've crossed through. Uh, you're really in Palestine now. There's no, it's it's a Palestinian. It's a it's 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 all Palestinian once you cross the bridge. It's all Arabic. You take a bus. You take a cab. Well, where, where do you go? So I took a cab. Nobody uh, met you. They didn't know any. Nobody met you to pick you up or anything. Or did no, they? So no, no, and no. Uh, I was going to, and I did end up meeting up with APAN, which is a uh, Australian Palestine advocacy network. Oh, I was going to do portions of their tours. Uh, their actual tour was cancelled because of the Gaza strike and getting in and so forth. Uh, so I went to, um, I'm just trying to think, I can't think of the hotel, but it's which one where. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Oh, so you took a cab to Jerusalem? Or yeah. Uh, okay. uh, you know, as soon as I got in the car, yeah, something drew me to having a cigarette. Uh, it's something to do with Palestine and the Palestinians yeah. and all of that. It's hard not, not to hard not to smoke when you're in Palestine. Yeah, so I had one in the car and I hadn't had one for about two years, and so I had a big head rush. You know, I didn't didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, and then when I went up to my room and then went for a wander, uh, you know, through. So you're in East Jerusalem, and you're in Palestinian East Jerusalem. Yeah, uh, and I just started wandering through everywhere, and then you know. You don't see a few things for a while, and then but once you see it in there, you can't unsee it again, and you see all of these soldiers again walking around. Uh, you know, and I, I sit and watch people. That's why I like, you know, I get to learn that way. And sitting in the Jerusalem near the gates, soldiers, because they're not soldiers, in fact, they're security guards, aren't they? But with M16s and you know all of the all the good gear, uh, and you could see them pulling uh, Palestinians up. And it was obvious. It was obvious. You know, all the whiteies straight through weren't even looked at. Uh, and then the, you know, mainly mainly kids, maybe from you know, maybe eighteen to twenty-three, thereabouts. They were uh, pulling them over uh, and humiliating them. And uh, you know, it was funny though that the last time I went, they were still doing the same thing, except they had put pedestals there. 
So what they would do is they would get the Palestinian kids again, probably the same ages, stand on the pedestal, sometimes drop their pants, but frisk them, abuse them uh, in front of everybody. I mean, it, I mean that, that to me is just completely outrageous. You know, if you're going to treat Palestinians inhumanely, at least take them around the corner. Don't put it on um, on on, uh, on a pedestal. Good thing for a pedestal because people get to see it. You know, I took some pictures and they didn't really like that, Miko. And so they came over and tried to, you know, take my camera. You get pissed you know, off. When, when you get pissed off, um, I, saw, I, I mean, I saw pictures of you, but I also saw it in person when you and I were together. When you get pissed off about the injustice, you don't keep it inside. You tend to come out and speak up in a way that's very, very, very clear. Yes. And, and I, I, look, I had a lot of people come up and say, why you do this? You're going to get kicked out. For, well, that's you know, not the, my, my question is, how is it that you're not afraid? Because I've seen you, and I'm not trying to butter you up or anything like that. No, no, no. But you got, you got, some, you got some, excuse me, some serious balls walking up to these guys and yeah. confronting these soldiers who are, you know, they're big guys, they've got guns, they got all the power. Where does that come from? How does that work? Uh, they didn't intimidate me any way, shape, or form. Any way, shape, or form. There was, in that. fact, there was one that did first visit, uh, and that was it. He had the grey. It was a grey outfit when they were demolishing houses, and he was the only one that sort of just gave me nothing. The rest of them, you look in their eyes, there's fear. You look in their eyes, they know what they're doing is not right. Majority of them. Majority of them know that. Uh, you know, and they just have to keep doing it. And uh, I've, my first visit, I had a soldier do this from maybe 30 metres away, uh, asking who I was, where I was, what I was I doing there. And I remember saying it to him, I probably shouldn't have done it, but I remember saying to him, he needs to either shoot me or I'm going to walk over and knock him out. And his face was like, they used, they used to having a number of them stand over Palestinians. You know, so there's no reason to be overly afraid because there's a whole group of them. Whereas with a white guy, they don't want to have an international problem. They have killed many uh, journalists. We know that and got away with it. But they don't want that sort of um, news or, or anything about uh, what they're doing, especially to white people. But I, I just wasn't afraid of them at all. Not one of them, except the, the grey one. So you're in Jerusalem now, you're, you're sitting by the gate and you're seeing all this abuse. You said you walked up to them? Yeah, I walked up to them. Uh, so the, fir the first time I said, you know, uh, you know, can we have a photo with the soldiers? No problem in the world, mate. No problem in the world to stand there posing for that. But 10 minutes later, I'm taking pictures of them abusing people. They say, you know, hey, we can't do that. You know, so it's against, it's against the law to take photos with the soldiers. But I said, 10 minutes ago, you let me do it. And, you know, oh, you know, I wasn't here. There's all the excuses in the world to, to wander off again. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean, you know what it's like. Um, so where did you go after Jerusalem? Uh, so I went to Berlin. Uh, I went up and met Hamdi. I stayed there for um, maybe a week. And, you know, I saw the soldiers come up a few times. And, look, there was a video there of me. Uh, one of the videos I did first, it did millions of views, which I was so glad because it showed a soldier holding up a gun towards a complete civilian, an international tourist. 
and you know to try and intimidate me and so that, that was a good thing but I, I went around the village and um, met all of the people that were in five broken cameras right. which is a great movie yeah. at that stage i didn't know the movie they were showing me all these people that were in it and i go i don't know what movie you're talking about um, but that gave me an insight into the people of how they worry about you they don't worry about themselves they worry about um, all they want you to do they don't want gifts or anything they just want to have the stories taken out of the country to the rest of the world uh, and they want to tell you the stories open and honestly without being um, coerced into, into doing anything and um, just on that when I was when I was at in Berlin a girl a six-year-old was run over by a car murdered killed uh, in ass I can't remember her surname and so we went over to by an Israeli car so she was killed and her friend uh, is, is mentally gone because of you know scarring and, and stuff and so they took me over to visit the family so I could have a really you know a good understanding of what goes on and as I walked up I was confronted by soldiers saying you can't come here I said, why not? I've been invited. And they said, no, you can't come here. We'll look after the family. You don't need to worry. And I thought, you want this? This is in the village, in Berlin yep. itself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, not Berlin. It was a different, uh, it was about 20 minutes. So I can't remember the, the actual place, but it was a very, very small place. They were in it, like a block of flats. Okay. Uh, and so the soldiers in the end left. And, you know, didn't go far, but they were loitering around enough to stand over the family from afar to see, you know, make sure they didn't say too much. They told me what happened. They also told me that the soldiers had been harassing them the whole time, standing around their front door, uh, basically blaming them for the the incident. incident. And so we organised a banner to go up and the police, the security to go around there and really start to harass them because of all that. And... Um, this is what happened. They can't even, even in death, they can't rest. And it's, you know, one of those things. And because I've got a daughter that was exactly the same age at the time, I can't imagine, you know, and no, um, no charges, no jail, no reprimand, nothing. And the people that killed her child and uh, maimed her best friend live five minute walk from there. They can't move out of the country. They can't, no, no means to do that. They have to live and walk past that family and that family can drive past their house the whole time. That is shocking. And the fact that and the police or the security or the, the soldiers, whatever they are, uh, were intimidating them. So, you know, I, I then said, um, I said to the, the soldiers that were there, you know, I said, why do you have such big guns? Why do you have guns? And this is caught on video. I said, why are you standing here with M16s? It's just to protect ourselves. I said, okay, have you ever seen a woman with a gun? No. A man with a gun? No. Teenagers with guns? No. I said, well, who's protecting who? Why do you need these guns? I mean, it's obviously an intimidation thing. And then the soldiers got really upset with me. Humdi was um, recording secretly. 
because uh, I got really upset with me, started yelling at me. Uh, but then again, that's that's never never left me. The fact that you can lose a six-year-old and have to stay around where the murderers are and they get away with it. What's stopping them doing it again? Nothing. Nothing. Where'd you go next? Um, uh, I, sp I spent a lot of time in, in Jerusalem. I just, on, on the first trip, it's a bit of a haze because uh, it was very, very rushed. Uh, I, I know what I also did is near East Jerusalem where you and I got harassed uh, by the teenage kids, there's a section not far from there where there was, you know, Bedouin villages, you know, not, not the greatest houses, but they were houses and homes for these people. Uh, and they were getting wiped out. Uh, you know, I think they did about 10 on that particular day. And I remember walking down there and, you know, big family, big family. You know, they had the mother. I didn't see the father there. And they must have had six or seven daughters from, you know, different ages. But they all live within this area. And they didn't get much notice. They came in with their um, big bulldozers moved the family out a little bit out of the way and then just demolished it with all of their things in it. All of their things in it. You and saw so, that? You, you were there, you saw that? Or you no, were... I saw it. Yeah, yeah. It was another one of those um, things that you just never forget. And it's, you know, I mean, it, our standards, it wasn't a huge, huge house, you know, but it was theirs. And what people don't realise is once these houses go, they're not given anywhere else to go. The Israeli government doesn't help them. They are put on the street. Now, I can't believe that there's not more killings of the Israelis because the, Palest the Palestinians are getting put through this stuff. If it was me, I would have killed people. I don't care what anybody says, but to see my family, to see my relatives, to have my house, to have my jobs removed from me just because they want to upset you is horrific. Now, they don't have any options. What are they going to do now? And a big family. And this happens every single day. Every single day it happens. And this is in an area very near um, Jerusalem where they wanted to build a brand new settlement. So, you know, it's a horrible... And So when you go over there, when they do those demolitions, there's cars and trucks that go in first you know, to make sure to keep the peace of the, the community, to keep them at bay because, you know, they know what they're doing is wrong. And this is where they had the grey outfits. And on their belts or the, you know, the things that go around here, they've got grenades all the way through, you know. And, and it looks, they look like a stormtrooper. And they, they have all of the those things. Then there's a few of them that had face masks on. And uh, which I thought was bizarre. You know, they have balaclavas on. So not only are the family getting their, their lives ruined, but it's getting done in a way that you're going to have nightmares for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, and, and the other people within those communities that don't have their houses demolished yet, imagine living in that fear, the fear that their house is going to go, because it will, absolutely it will, because there's no one in the world that's going to stop them. Horrible. So Palestine has become personal for you. Yeah, it has. And it's, I mean, at the start, it was, at the start of it was, you know, mainly, mainly probably a numbers thing. You know, I don't want to figure out what was going on, what's not going on, who's doing this, who's doing that. 
and I, uh, but now it's different. I mean, I've, I've made lifelong friends, you know, I, you know, they, as I said before, they open up to you, they welcome you and they do not care about their issues uh, of being, getting in trouble. It's more, let's make sure that Rob's okay. Uh, and in fact, let me tell you, I'll tell you one more story. When I was up in Berlin, they, they came up, Humby had a phone call. Who's a local reporter phone call is Israelis up on the top of the hill. And so I hadn't had a cup of tea at this stage, barely moved. And then we're in a car and I'm going, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? It's like, it's like we're a, you know, a team of, uh, militia going into somewhere to do something, you know, you know, and then Humby said to me, he said, Rob, stay in the car. It's not, not, not for you. You stay here. Uh, as we drove the car up, M16s showing straight in the front windows. And I was in the window because they were being gentlemen, you know, letting me go in the front. And then I thought, yeah, now I know why, mate. Uh, as I got out of the car, they, this is when the soldiers did this, and I'm hiding behind their gun to see, then you know, to, to see if it was who it was and why I was there. They told me to leave, and I said, I'm not going anywhere, mate. Nah, I'm not going anywhere. And then the Palestinians, they weren't going to move. The only reason that they ran, because they all ran in one hit, and they told me this afterwards. They said, if they don't leave, they would kill me. And so that's the only time that they would go was to protect me, not protect themselves. But I was a bit worried when I just saw all of them just go. And look and go hang on, hang on, something's not right. It just shows again the sort of people that they are. Mm. So then that was your first trip. Your second trip was the one that we took together. Yes, which was a lot more eye-opening. Why do you say that? Uh, so I thought I'd seen it all, my first trip. You know, Berlin and in those sorts of areas. And I hadn't because, you know, you, you took me to... Uh, you had a pretty intensive trip. It was, and there was a lot going on, I think, at the time. And I seemed to find trouble, and I don't actually go looking for it. I think this is what a lot of people don't realise. I didn't go looking for it. Uh, you know, the fact that we were in, in a little bit. Well, I'm not scared to go into the spots that need to be seen. Well, when we were in, um, uh, we were in Hebron and uh, we went to the Youth Against Settlements and we met with Isa and we, you know, we did the tour, we're walking around yep. and then we're sitting somewhere and uh, and Robert's gone. And it turns out that Robert decided to go to the, like, to the, to the, to the epicenter of the settlers right next to the Ibrahimi mosque, but on the Jewish side, on the settler side. And um, I think you, you did a, you did a Facebook live, it was Facebook live, I believe. You're recording Facebook I did. Live. And I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if you remember what led up to that. So go ahead and tell, tell me. So tell we were doing, we were doing a tour. Uh, yeah. You know, my, my own was a small, quiet tour. And then we got to a certain point where you and I and the rest of our trip could proceed over this invisible line. Right. And I thought they were kidding first. You know, they said, no, Isa, you can't come. And they all know Isa. And it's, uh, they still ask for his IDs, though. Even though they all know who he is, they still ask for his IDs, which is another part of the... Uh, Standing over. Uh, just, to, just to clarify, he says this Amro who I had uh, 
on last week. <clears throat> and as we speak, he's waiting for the verdict. And, um, you know, we've got petitions and we've got letters for people to sign and send. Uh, maybe Jamil can put the petition on the chat again. Um, but he, we don't know what the verdict's going to be, how long he's going to go to jail for, or what the situation's going to be. So that's the ASA that we're talking about. But go ahead. He's, uh, he's you know, he's the, uh, he's the, um, um, you know, the, the, the poster boy, the poster boy for civil disobedience, for how civil disobedience is supposed to be done. But anyway, go ahead. Well, because yeah, he, he knows the laws. He speaks Hebrew perfectly. So he knows yeah. to push without going over that, you know, that, uh, that wall so you and i in the group were walking past and then they've said to isa stop and i've gone you can't, you've got to be kidding me and they said no he can't come he has to stay there and so i mean i got a little bit upset they're not drastically but then there was this kid now i don't know how old he was maybe 10 12 hard to say uh you know as proud as punch proud israeli and he started you know swaying his body with a real arrogant swagger to it and pointing to Isa and he said that uh, one day I'll kill your family and I didn't know he said that but I could tell by the intent in the eyes uh, and you told me afterwards but the soldiers were there the soldiers were there now if it was a Palestinian kid he'd be doing six months probably maybe more maybe two years for incitement and uh, you know threatening a soldier but the fact that this kid did it, and it, it wasn't whispered, it was pretty loud, because right? like, he just knew he'd get away with it. And for the soldiers not to do something, shows you again that they are breeding these hateful kids that believe that God is completely on their side, and the world is on his side, which basically it is. And so that really upset me. That bit really kid, I, I mean, I remember the incident. I remember the kid. He's standing there with this disgusting swagger and um, uh, looking at Isa, exactly like you described him. And several times he said what he said, that he was going to go and murder him one day. And he said it loud. He said it clear. He said it in public. He said it in front of everyone. And then, I don't know if you remember that, but he, he high-fived the soldier after that. Yes, yes, he did, yes. And uh, I've got footage of it too. Now, so. can you imagine a 13, 14, or however old he was, kid in any other circumstance standing around uniformed officers and adult civilians looking at someone, threatening to murder them, and then getting a mm -hmm. high five or having, having no response, having no con sense that there might be consequences? for making that sort of threat. Can you imagine any other place in the world or any other reality or any other scenario or a child that age other than a child who's been, who's been injected with hate his whole life? It's or, a scary thought. Or a very, very troubled you know, human being, a very, very troubled criminal um, to speak like that, to, to, to talk like that. I don't think that there is another place like that. No, there, there, there wouldn't be. I mean, an adult. It was horrifying. Hearing that would absolutely. I mean, if I heard it or from another child, I'd say something. I'd find their parents. You know, you would. They just it wouldn't happen. Uh, not and in a civil. Expect the parents to 
reprimand them, to, 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 to apply some kind of consequences yes. so the child would know that this is wrong. He didn't yes. think this was wrong. He thought it was heroic. Yeah, he thought he was doing a good thing. He thought it was heroic. He was bragging. The sadness, the sad yeah. side of affairs is he'll have an M16 one day. And yeah. uh, you know, and he'll have he'll have very no hesitation soon. to use it. Very soon, once he's 16, yeah. 16, 17, he's gonna walk be walking around with that same swagger and he's gonna be carrying a, a loaded gun. Yeah. And and he'll also know though that the law will protect him. Well, and he's because seen Palestinians like Asa shot in Hebron in that very in that very spot. In that, spot. In that very in that spot. spot. Yeah. And getting away with it and in fact becoming heroes. I remember there, there was one around the same time, not far around the corner, where he got killed. And the one that was filmed by, I can't recall his name, but he filmed it and it showed that he had put another bullet in his head. He was still alive, the Palestinian was still alive. And he was getting harassed because he had courted it. Not helping him out, but saying basically if you keep you know, trying to use your footage for this, this, and this, you know, we'll charge you. So, um, so Hebr Hebron was, was definitely, so fr from that point. So then with, from that point on, so that was the point where Palestinians could no longer walk through, but only non-Palestinians non can walk through. Go ahead. Uh, so there was two confrontations within a rather short period of, of time there. Uh, there was, there's an area where there's a shop where the Ibrahim Mosque is, yeah. and another little road comes down where the, the tours come. Yeah. And I walked across, and again, you do this without realizing, you know. I, I said, Issa, come over here. He says, I can't come over here. And I said, Again, you know, not a, a, a lack of thinking on my behalf, probably, saying, so, yeah, Come hang out. And he said, I'm allowed to. And then the, the, the Israeli Jews started to, to say a few things. And so I took my camera and, I, you know, because all, all the videos I did, I did with a camera and my hand. That was it. A lot of people asked if I had a, um, like a cameraman. No cameraman, just this is my uh, tripod thing. And so I went over there and I just asked, uh, you know, what do you think of the Palestinians not being allowed here? And over this side. And then one of them said, oh, you know, if they did, they would murder us. And at the Ibrahim Mosque, 28 Palestinians were killed. Don't know, I can't remember the day, but 28 Palestinians were killed as they worshipped, as they worshipped. And this guy had the audacity to tell me that all the Palestinians would get murdered. And then I, it went on from there. I said they should be ashamed of themselves, uh, realising and, you know, prancing around and, and, and those sorts of things. And then uh, 15 metres away, there's a bus stop. And, you know, they said the Palestinians can't go on that bus either. And I said, seriously, what is going on in this place? And so I filmed talking to the two Israeli soldiers. And I said, you're proud about your racism and your apartheid. Uh, you could tell on their faces. They didn't want to say anything. I knew they could understand me by their facial expressions. Uh, and then at the end of that, I said, say hello. And they said, why? And obviously, they understood every word I said. Uh, but it was about how they thought about the Palestinians not being allowed on the bus, that I could go on the bus, a Chinese person could get on the bus, an Indian person could get on the bus, but a Palestinian that lives within this area can't. And it's bizarre to me, a transient person would probably have more danger 
or, or uh, security risks because you don't know these people other than someone that you do know. And then you, you'll know this spot, but 10 metres away, there's a uh, an area where the Palestinians live. There's a gate. Now, that gate locks the Palestinians in and out. Now, they have no way of dealing with it. Sometimes they'll climb the fence, which is a pretty high fence, and they'll get in trouble. But if the Israelis want to lock them in there, they can lock them in there. They're at the whim of that gate. And again, I thought, you know, this is why I sort of popped, because you get all of this in such a small area, uh, you know, all, all but um, complete harassment. But then you see these Israelis running, riding, in linen attire, and what do they have across their waists or their backs? M16s. M16s again. And sometimes there was Uzis, which blew me away to see these, you know, people with an actual Uzi. And again, that you know, they say that they're you know worried about the Palestinians who have no guns, have no means to get a gun, and uh, you know the world believes it. The world actually believes it. And I think it's so out of uh it's so unbelievable what's going on over there that people don't actually believe it's true don't go your way if it was that bad they'd get in trouble well they've created this they've created this myth that is so entrenched which is that which basically is that a people that have never had a military force have never had so much as an army have never had a tank there's never been a palestinian tank have never had so much as as you know any any form of, of, of an organized military mm. in any way, shape, or form are threatening a country and a people where everyone has a gun and it has an enormous military, one of the most, one of the best equipped, best financed military forces, certainly in the region. Yeah, easily. Easily. And this side is threatening that side. And this is the story. This is the narrative that the Palestinians, that a man like Asa Amro, who has never held a gun in his life, is a threat to the Israelis who have nuclear weapons. Yep. And this is the narrative that is being repeated and repeated and repeated everywhere. And somehow people accept this, that this could possibly yep. be true. Where's the threat? Yeah. yeah. How can this possibly, and you went right in there with your camera and you started challenging these settlers. It got pretty heated up though um, when you were in there with those settlers uh, by the Ibrahimi Mosque with your with your phone. I mean, it, it, it got pretty confrontational for a few moments there. Yeah, absolutely did. Because I, um, one of the guys, so after seeing all of this stuff, you know, with, you, with Issa and, you know, those people around and the Palestinians not being allowed out, the guy said, it's our land. I said, how's it? You tell me how it's your land. God gave it to us. Mm. I said, seriously? He said, yes. God gave us the land. They can leave. And he said this. I mean, you could be like your granddad, you know, like a normal granddad or whatever, but just with a vile, vicious um, tongue. And he was saying this in front of kids. In front of the kids. And believing what he was saying, he was he he believed what he was saying, because a lot of the nut job religious nut jobs uh, do. And so we it did get heated up. Uh, the soldiers came over a little bit to 
you know, see what was going on. And they saw the camera, they sort of didn't want a bar of it. So they sort of backed off. Because uh, some of the soldiers don't want to be anywhere near the camera. Because uh, they're, I, I, once they're discharged, their faces are going to be recognized and they will not be able to, you know, travel around the world. They're, you know, there, there, there will be consequences. Yeah. Does that, does that happen? Well, it hasn't happened, not to, not to soldiers. It ha it's happened to a couple of Israeli former generals, but not to soldiers yet. Okay. Um, but okay. they are afraid. They do not want their faces, <clears throat> you know, on camera because they're afraid. And that's why, in some cases, they wear those ski masks. Yeah. Um, because they're afraid that their faces will be recognized later on. But um, so you were confronting these settlers. And if anybody's seen that video... If they haven't, it's out there. On, I'm not sure if it's on your Facebook page or, or where it is. I, I'm, I'm not on Facebook, so it, my, that page is gone. So wherever that may be, um, yeah. we, maybe Jamil can find it. And, if, but, if you Google Robert Martin Palestine, I think that's when you'll find most of the stuff. On, 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 on YouTube or something. But So these were, these were you know, uh, Israeli Jews, Israeli settlers, dressed like Orthodox religious people. But then yes, yes. we were in Jerusalem and we met a whole different type of Orthodox <laughs> religious, very ultra-Orthodox religious Jews. Can you talk a little bit about this? We, we, we did get into some incidents, didn't we, now that when you, you talk about them now? I'm, I'm, not talking, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about that incident. I'm talking about we went into Masharim and we met, we went to the home of Rabbi Hirsch. Oh, what a wonderful man. And there's a great picture of you and him, you know, holding, you know, like arms around each other. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. I, because uh, I got, first of all, going through that community oh, where, yeah. yeah, where they are obviously um, very strict Jews and, you know, they've got the whole gear on and, you know, it, that's different in itself. You don't, you know, walk, walk through certain streets and then bang, you're in this whole community. And I, um, you know, the guy, I mean, there must have been 10 of us, at least 10 of us. You know, we we're all sat out at his big table and, you know, he was, uh, he was this sort of guy you just wanted to hug. And so I did hug him and, you know, I think, <laughs> yes. I think to the wife's uh, dismay, uh, that I gave him a hug and I just thought, yeah. he, was, he was such a gentleman. Yeah. He gave us parts of the scriptures that a lot of the um, fanatical Jews, pro-Israel Jews, don't tell you about. Yeah. Um, he, they get a lot of heat from the, the Israelis, and so it's more than them just being. They're not silent, but they will go out and protest in the hundreds of thousands or the tens of thousands. Uh, you know where they get squirted with the with the, you know, the hoses and they get beaten up because they have the audacity to talk back to uh, the Israeli system. Uh, but I, that, that was one of my favourite times. And yeah, not only do they not carry weapons they refuse to serve in the army. Yes. And uh, I think that's changing, isn't it? Guns. You're not going to find a single gun or an Israeli flag, by the way, in that neighborhood. And if you remember, there are Palestinian flags. Everywhere. Flags post, you know, plastered on the, on the shivas, on the synagogues. But they refuse. That's one of the reasons they get beat up is because they refuse. It's an entire Jewish, ultra-Orthodox Jewish community that is, um, refuses to serve in the IDF. Are they going to change it, the Israelis? They're going to force them soon. They are. They've changed the law, and they are in the process of trying to force them. So every kid over seventeen, there, over sixteen, is is a deserter, and women too. And that's serious. 
yeah, and they get beaten up and they get, uh, it's very serious, it's very severe because they get taken to jail, they get treated awfully, they're, they're put in, in solitary confinement, they can't eat the food because the food's not, you know, it's, it's oh, yeah. story on its own because they want this community to disappear. They want that community to become like the community in Hebron, which look like Orthodox Jews, but they are violent, radical, religious fanatics. The worst, the worst of the worst. And they breed, <clears throat> excuse me, and educate and cultivate the kind of nasty, violent teenagers that, that you described earlier that we met that, that threatened Asa uh, in front of everybody that one day he was going to come and murder him and then nobody thought anything of it. And that is, that is the normal. Um, I was just going to say, we're talking about yeah. you know, spending time there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important that people know that there's plenty of different sides from the Israelis. Like the new the, the Carter group, they that we spent time with, they uh, you know they're fantastic, and they want they want peace for all, but they also know that it's Palestinian land, and so I know a lot of people when they get into this industry of the Palestinian Israeli, they try and put all the Israelis in one basket, and that's very important not to do, very important not to do. There are plenty of good Israeli Jews that are doing a lot of good work. We need more, but there are not all hard right, mean, uh, violent people. The whole community is not. So. so then we went on that trip. Um, we had a lot of laughs, I have to say. Even as we we're getting arrested, detained, having our bags searched. It was quite fun at times, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was incredible fun. We had, you know, we had some of the best food sitting around. And um, I mean, the one time we got uh, we got stopped in Jerusalem, we like I said, we did nothing. We were just we just walked. We did absolutely nothing. We we took a wrong turn, and the soldier told us Can't not go to down go that way. And I said yes, but but I whatever. It was just a conversation. And before I know it, I'm arrested. Your bags are being searched. And like I said, I'm I wouldn't sure let him take my money though. And I'm sure it's your fault. 100% it was your fault. And really all we wanted to do was go around the corner to sit at this tea place and smoke a, and smoke a hookah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which eventually we did. And it was yeah, we fun. did. And we Enjoyed did. that. And tea and we, you know, it was that, that little alley that, that leads to, uh, to, uh, to Alexa, to the, to the compound. Um, so yeah, we, 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 you know, like I said, we had some great laughs. And then um, your involvement like you say, you were you you had a huge presence on social media, mm -hmm. um, and you and you made a huge contribution um, to to exposing and, and exposing Palestine and exposing what is happening to Palestine because you took it personally and you were there and it was personal for you, yeah. and and the, and your following was was tremendous and people adore you as they should and adore your courage as I do too. And I've seen it, like I said, um, uh, in real life, in real time. And then you kind of disappeared. And people are asking, well, where's Robert Martin? Because they know we're friends. And now that we were promoting this, this, this conversation, people are saying, oh, it's so good to hear from him again. You know, where has he been? He's alive. So where, where the hell has he been? Uh, so I was running quite a few pages, you know, and right. a couple had over a couple hundred thousand. It's not the easiest thing to do. 
And then I had Facebook continually. I was getting smashed by Facebook to say, we're shutting it down for 30 days. We're shutting it down for 30 days, 21 days, all of those sorts of things. And then a couple of pages disappeared. You know, they just deleted them and there was not a thing I could do. I had my personal page, which I'd had since whenever, you know, I had my, the, my birth of my kids on them. So going back, you know, 11, 12, 13 years at least. And that one kept getting frozen. And in the end, I thought it's preaching to the choir now. Anyway, the videos that I did in Palestine can get shared and they will. They'll keep getting shared and it becomes a rabbit hole for social media. And so in the end, I thought I'm going to leave social media. And I, so I left Instagram, Twitter, Facebooks. There are a couple of pages that say they're me. Uh, one of them, you, actually, you told me someone sent you a friend request, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah which, which, which is not me. But there's also one or two of the pages going where a gentleman out of uh, Palestine is running it for me. And I just had enough. I do the radio show. I'd rather do things that are sort of behind the scenes uh, than on there. And, and look, it became too busy. You, you get these. You get a death threat a day or a couple a day. Uh, you get a lot of messages where if you don't respond, they say, you know, what's wrong with them? What am I too good not to respond to these things? Yeah, so it just became not too hard, but not not workable for me. And you know, I sort of went cold turkey. It's been maybe eighteen months now. Uh, occasionally I have people send me screenshots of messages they've had to see whether or not, you know, I'm okay. And that's fantastic. The, the fact to, to get people to check up and want to know about you is a beautiful thing. And the work that we all did, because if I was doing videos for myself, it's useless. And so the work that we did with people sharing them and doing those sorts of things was, was fantastic as well. Uh, I don't know if I'll go back on Facebook. Uh, I just, I don't think I will. Uh, in, in fact, it was funny. I was, I was telling you yesterday that my neighbour, who I don't get along well with, when I say that, I'm not friends with him. You know, we're not friends. We're not, you know, we chat, you know, when we're doing the lawns. He came up and he said, you know, what were you doing in Palestine? And I said, uh, and what has that got to do with you? And how do you know? And he said, look, I, I was on TikTok and I'm sure your face came up and there was a really nice message saying this guy's a, a legend or whatever it was. And he said, it looked like you, Rob. And he showed it to me, and I couldn't believe it was was me on TikTok. And so when I see that, and it was one of the videos, in fact, the video was, Miko, you and I in uh, in Jerusalem, just out of Jerusalem, where we were talking to those kids, and where we asked them whether or not they'd uh, ever met a Palestinian. Uh, you know, they took a real shine to you. And so it was that video, and I thought, that, that's really cool. That's It's now on a different uh, format. That's what the videos are for. That's what the videos are for. And, you know, if I can recommend people on social media, they're better off if they see something that they like rather than just clicking like. Share it with a couple of people, you know, because it creates a uh, more banter, more dialogue about it. Uh, because I think with social media today, we've become lazy activists. Yeah. Hitting like and hitting share isn't really doing a lot. It's not. But if you could share it with a couple of people at least and say, hey, do you want to discuss it? That's the best thing to do. And uh, you know, I think a lot of the activity these days has disappeared because of that. So I referred to your to your um, courage several times, and I've seen you interact with armed soldiers to a point where the guy was ready to 
do something, his face was right in your face. You looked into, you looked in his eyes, you said, don't you touch me, don't you dare touch me. And he ended up, I think, feeling the hair on the back of his neck stand backed off, even though yeah. he had all the power and the authority. And this is it, that it, in that one exchange that we had together as we were walking. We we're actually walking up to meet uh, friends for dinner. And there we're, was- We were going to dinner, that, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the road was blocked, Palestinians were not allowed to go through because settlers took, oh, took over the street, whatever. But these were the Palestinians living in the street. They couldn't yeah, go home. Yeah. And the Palestinians loved you, of course. And we had we got along great with the Palestinian kids on their bikes, but the settlers were all that was good. terribly violent. And that at that moment, and, and I've seen you do that a couple of times, where the the guy with the weapons and the authority backs down uh, as a result of this look that you have. But there's something else that I think that I that I experienced with you that that, that demonstrates, I think, even <clears throat> a deeper courage, you came out with these videos a while back uh, talking about mental health. Mm -hmm. um, just you were out there talking, you know, using the platform you have, using this enormous following that you've had on the different social media platforms to talk about that. Can you talk about that a little bit now? What was that all about? about so... So my, my belief is if someone's in a position to help, if someone's in a position to try and make change and in a position to do something, they should. There's a lot of us in a position to be able to talk about certain things, but we choose not to. And the reason we don't choose about certain things is because nobody else does. And so it's taboo. Worst thing about mental health is bottling it up, bottling it up. I had a very interesting childhood. I had a, you know, really interesting you know not not the most pleasant of all and so i have had some mental health issues over the years you know look i got expelled from four schools i uh, you know had that sort of growing up and then for a while i was fantastic working hard in in, uh, in business things were going really really well but then every so often it tends to be you know december november december uh, my head can change where I see the world differently. And all of a sudden, I'm not as happy as I normally am. And, you know, I, I take medication for it and, you know, things like that. But it's one of those things. The reason I spoke about it is I wanted other people to speak about it. And the amount of messages that I got about that was phenomenal, phenomenal. You know, there was a lot of people saying that, uh, you know, I've been too scared to talk about it. I'm going to tell my mum about it. I'm going to tell my dad about it. I'm going to go to the doctors. Because on, on one of the things, it was about suicide and suicide prevention and the things that you can do rather than attempt to live through it. Because if you try to live through it, the chances are you won't, you won't. So they've got to put their hand up and say, this is what I need. And so that's why I started to do those videos. Uh, I spent a bit of time in a facility to get away from everything uh, and straighten myself out. I did that last Christmas or the Christmas before. And doing what I think was right for me to do rather than ignoring it. And, you know, I mean, I've got three kids, I've got, you know, life's good, I've got to do the right thing, I've got to make sure that I'm you know, still around. And so that's why I did those videos. And uh, don't remember what triggered it, but something did. And I thought, that's it, I'm going to do it. Because a lot so, of people feel 
I think the issue, a lot of people feel, I think, a sh sense of shame. And weakness. To talk about these things, and you came out just, boom. Well, yeah, you know, the, the other thing, I just, the, the other reason I did it is because I know Palestinians. The rate of mental health over there is huge. And, you know, in Gaza, in fact, also in the IDF, because they know what they've done is so horrifically wrong uh, that they can't live with themselves. And uh, but part, part of the reason was I was watching things in Gaza about the mental health. And I thought, you know, we should talk about it. Uh, I mean, I, it's so understandable that they have it. I mean, it would be a miracle if they didn't have it. They haven't got a future. They haven't got any of these sorts of things. You know, in their eyes, there's no future. And uh, it just shows the resilience of those people that just keep punching through, even though they've got everything against them, you know, including, including the rest of the world. Uh, it shows how strong that they are. Um, but me doing that video for me, it sort of enabled me to relax on it a little bit. There was a bit of a weight you know, there's been a couple of times in my life where I've had a weight. I could feel the actual weight come off my shoulders. Uh, and that was one of them. What do you mean a weight? Okay, it's a, it's a saying we have that when you're really relieved, uh, you know, if, as, as we live, we've got a weight on our shoulders pushing us down all the time. But then when something you do really alleviates that, you go, oh, it feels better. And so it, it took the pressure out of my hiding it took the pressure away from my friends, not really knowing what's going on, but then realizing this is the way I behave sometimes. I don't feel like ringing someone back or, you know, I don't want to go to a party or anything like that. So, you know, it gave me, it gave the reasoning anyway. Can you talk about what was the, the facility you, you went to? Uh, so place I was in there for six weeks where you, uh, you work on yourself, uh, you know, they try different medications. You get, uh, you're away from the world, so you have to concentrate on yourself, which was a good thing to do. So I think it's something everybody should do at some stage. So you just decided to go? Yeah. To, to admit yourself? Yeah. Wow. You should try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It should. We talked about Maradona uh, just casually, you and I. And you mentioned what a terrific human being he was. He well, he's been a humanitarian. There's, there's a number of the soccer players or the footballers that uh, that do it, and people don't know about it. And he I, did stuff for years. What, what did you think when you when you first learned about him? Well, I mean, I knew he was a great. I knew he was a great athlete. I knew he was a great soccer player. I knew he was. You know, I didn't know anything about him beyond that. And then I knew that he had a lot of problems with drugs. Um, and he had this, uh, and it basically he was ruined because of drugs and alcohol and mental health issues, <clears throat> again, which, you know, I, people don't usually talk about and that's it. And then after you and I, I just mentioned that he passed, that he died because he died recently and he's, he's about my age, very, very close to my age. Um, I thought he was older. No. Okay. Uh, Maybe a year, less than a year old. Maybe okay. maybe a year older than me. No, no, not much more than that. So anyway, you wrote and you said, yeah, he was a terrific human being. So I thought, well, why does he say that? So then I looked him up and I started uh, looking at stuff that's that's out there about Maradona. And uh, why did you think he was a terrific human being? Can you talk about that? I, I've known over the years that uh, good things he's done for people. And it always has 
the stuff that he's done hasn't always been publicised. You know, there's people that do stuff that just want to be publicised for it. So that's basically the reason they do it. He's, right. he's done stuff for, for years. Uh, you know, I, I don't know him as well as you do because you've seen his latest video, which I'll, I'll, I will watch. Uh, but I'm surprised that you hadn't heard over the years. But then you, you can't hear about everybody, can you? Well, he was a supporter of Palestine. Yeah. He was a supporter of, of, of Cuba. He was a supporter of, of, of Bolivia when they needed support. He was a supporter of, of a lot of the of social justice causes that we, that we you know, b- believe in them in, in very, very, very strongly. Yep. I'm shocked that I didn't know more about him. When um, did he get into Palestine? I don't know. He okay. just, uh, but there's, there's, you know, quotes and 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 uh, and little clips of him talking about how he is. He feels he's Palestinian. You know, that's um, beautiful. It's really beautiful. I don't know if he's been to Palestine or if he met uh, uh, Palestinian leaders at other. You know, I mean, being a celebrity, of course, everybody wants to meet him. But the movie that I saw, <clears throat> the thing I saw is on Netflix, a brilliant uh, series, four or five uh, episodes. It's called Maradona in Mexico. And that was really his last hurrah. He went to Mexico um, to the, the, the city that's the most uh, infected with drugs. Yeah. Uh, where El Chapo is from. I think it's called Sinaloa. Uh, I forget the name of the city. Just escapes me. Yeah, I got no, I got no idea. Um, but anyway, if you look up uh, Maradona in Mexico, and he coaches this team, and everybody assumes that he's gone there just to, you know, for the drugs. And he's the cleanest he's ever been. And he takes this team, and you look at these brilliant athletes, these young, you know, motivated, uh, very ambitious young athletes. And they're tall and strong and fit. And he is this short, old, fat guy who can barely walk. Who can barely walk. Um, and they adore him. And they adore him. And he treats them like a father. And it means so much to them. And he takes his team and he does miracles with his team. It's, it's then neither they or any of the talking heads, any of the commentators ever thought that a team like that could go as far as he took them. So it's a wonderful, wonderful series. Good story. I, I really recommend it, and it's and this was a year ago. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely watch it. This I'll definitely like watch the it. Last thing, really, that he did, you know, before he died, before he just went away and died. Yep. You know, it's one of those things where after somebody dies, suddenly people recognize <clears throat> their greatness and recognize the fact that. And he talks about his drug problem, yep. and he being considered one of the great soccer players of all times. Keeps saying, I keep saying. What a great soccer player I could have been had I not. Oh, been a, yeah. I can yeah. only imagine what a great player I would have been had I not. And he talks about it openly, which is very important, about the drugs, about the alcohol, about uh, not so much about the mental health that led to that, but having been grown, having been raised in a, in a slum, basically, in the, worst, it's amazing what they can do. in the worst poverty on earth, and suddenly becoming a megastar and not having any kind of emotional support. You know, we'll obviously do that to you. Um, and, you know, so that's, that's, I think it's important. And, and again, you coming out there and talking about this mental health issue. Um, I've got a, the drugs and alcohol. I'm sorry. Out there. Uh, alcoholism and drugs are hugely out there, which is another, you know, thing that people need to talk about more because it's a disease yeah. as well. So. Yeah. 
as opposed to hiding it and, and feeling a sense of shame to come out there and talk. So again, that was, uh, that, I thought that was, that was, that was Beautiful. remarkable. You came out, you came out, you came out and did that. And, and anybody that does, I think it's important for people to realize it. Like you say, it's a disease and it's something we should talk about and should have out in the open so that we can. Well, hiding does more damage than any of it. Yeah. Hiding it because it just, it, it poisons you. And then, you know, you, the more you poison, the more you reach out for drugs or alcohol. And then it's a, a vicious circle. And so, but again, people are talking about it much more now. Yeah. yeah. Which is good. Yeah. So I, um, I miss you a lot. I, you know, hanging out, going to Palestine or coming here or whatever it is. Now with COVID, it's a little bit harder. Um, what are you doing these days? to not go nuts because things in Melbourne were pretty bad uh, recently with COVID. Yes, we, we got locked out for six months. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i still not working. I've taken some time off. I'm selling them my business. So that's, you know, it, it hasn't done a lot for me, the, the whole COVID thing. Uh, now that COVID is sort of moving away from us, the traffic's been uh, worse. So I'm hoping maybe we can get another few months of COVID lockdown. Uh, you know, might, might go against the, the grain here of what people actually want. But that's that's what I'm protesting for. You know, just two or three more months. I didn't realize it was going to end so quickly. So you yeah, know. The, highways, the highways are all empty. It was great. I was the only person on the road most of the time, and now it's uh, it's devastating. So I'm going to write a letter to the premier and see what I can do anyway. Yeah, so. to make things worse for others. Make for others. Worse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As long as it's for others. Uh, next year, I look at going into doing something. So I've, been, I've been lucky to, I've been spending time with my kids. So oh, yeah. I'm able to pick them up from school and yeah. uh, drop them off, pick them up, do ballet, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Obviously not me doing ballet, uh, but doing ballet has been... Uh, I can see you, I can see you in, in pink tights, actually. I think, I think I'm very flexible, Miko. Very, very flexible. I think it'd be lovely. Once we stop going live, I'll show you exactly how flexible I am. I think, I think you should, I think, do you have the pink tights on? Oh, I've got them, definitely. Are yeah. they on? They look magnificent. In fact, I've got a couple of photos. I'll send you of it. <laughs> when we get off, when we get offline, so let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, do some Q and A. We got a lot of people asking questions. Why the hell they want to ask you questions of all people? I don't know. Maybe they're telling me to get stuffed. There's there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of people here asking questions. Uh, where Jamil? Jamil, are you there? Do you want to uh, pick maybe three or four questions? But you know, those are the good ones, the smart ones. Intelligent. <laughs> all all no, questions, no, you know, are, all questions are questions are equal. They are all intelligent questions. They're all. Well, uh, they're out, those are out of my league. I promise. <laughs> they they overwhelmingly are. I mean, I mean, I get to look at all of them. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got a bunch picked out here. Um, you just want what three or four? Yeah. Okay. How about this one? This one is from Leanne. Are you considering going back to Palestine? And if you do, what would be the first thing you would do? That's a good question. So last time I, when I was leaving Palestine, I gave my passport over to the, the lady and said, thank you very much for having me. I can't wait to come back again. At this at the airport? It's been lovely having you. Was this at the airport or was this in yeah, the Yeah, on the way out, on the way out. You flew out because you came in by the bridge. You know, this is going back to the bridge. Oh, so it's at the bridge. Yeah. And she said, it's been lovely having you. I'm sure you'll come back again. And she's looking at my passport like this. And I said, yeah, this is fantastic. Who says this house pl um, place is hard? And then she put 
came down here and she said, sir, you've got to sit over here. And I said, what for? I don't feel like sitting. I've got things to do. And she said, um, I needed to wait for certain people to come and discuss my potential future plans. And, you know, they went over some stuff, tried to threaten me, and I think they realised they couldn't do that. No, wait, 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 slow down, slow down. So you went and you sat down over to the side? Into a table, yeah, yeah. And then they took me to a room. Who's they? Uh, Israeli soldiers type people. Okay. And so then they took asked you to where I'd been, what I'd done, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. And I said, well, does it matter? I'm leaving. And then... Uh, I was just there to pray and look for Jesus. And, and found him. And found him. It was in my bag. And um, so they said, I'll never go back in. I'm never allowed to go back in there. So, but if I do go back there, uh, oh, no, no, hold on, hold on. To talk about that conversation a little more. You know, well, first of all, I thought it was—I thought it was simple. There's nothing wrong with this. All the hype, you know, because I'd had death threats, and they there'd been pages set up uh, death threats to kill me, and I'd had uh, IDF soldiers send me messages saying that if they found me, they were going to kill me. Uh, and so I thought, you know, this is. You know, they'll be wrapped to have me gone, but none of that happened, so they'll just let me back in. And they're asking me the dumb questions, you know, like they both ask the same questions, you know, where have you been? Who have you seen? Did you go to the West Bank? Did you see Palestinians? Did you do this? What'd you say? Uh, I didn't answer any of the questions, not one of them. What'd you say? Uh, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, you know where I've been, hence the reason you're asking these questions. So I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to be told what I can and can't do. And I said, you know what's really bad is the fact that you choose who comes into Palestine when you shouldn't. I don't want to come back and see you anyway. I'd like to go back into the Palestinian side. And then, you know, they sort of, you know, a smirk of disgust basically on their face. You know, the Palestinians. With these guys with the weapons and all the authorities, all, all the authority in their hands and you're confronting them again and you're basically telling him to... Fuck off. Yes. You basically, uh, I may have actually used those profanities as well. It, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm having a real getting into it with someone, I try not to use profanities because it lowers the, the tempo of the conversation, I think. So I try not to. It was already as low as it could go anyway. 100%. It's, very, very, it's a very hard, low bar to mm. increase from. Mm. But, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it was the same conversation that they have with most people that they don't want to come back in. Right. Uh, they what they didn't actually stamp my passport red, but they told me, and so that, that's why. And I only figured this out uh, two weeks ago at a barbecue. That uh, I'm going to try to go back, maybe in two years. If I do go to back, I'd rather go, I'd like to go to Hebron. Then I'd like to go to uh, Nablus. There's a few other areas. I'd definitely go to the Singers Cafe and see in Baha. Well, we're going to go together, and so we'll figure all this out. As you 100%, know, as we put absolutely, I don't only go with you as we put together the itinerary. Yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to go with you, and I uh, quite a bit of uh, hoop smoking and uh, good food and stuff, and a lot of laughs. So that we'll, we'll we'll plan that. So anyway, so then you're sitting in the room, and they said they said what? So you basically you told them to piss off. What were you doing here? What and were you doing here? Who have you seen? Give me names. They wanted names of people <laughs> had seen. Uh, which I wasn't going to give them any. any Mary, and you said Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Uh, yeah, and God. God. Going right to the top. Okay. Uh, and it was it was a roundabout. You know, they're both asking similar questions. One was a bloke, one was a girl. 
they were both asking similar questions, you know, looking for the same answer. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they realised... They think they're smart. Yeah, I think they realised pretty quickly. And I reckon they'd seen my videos as well. Yeah. Uh, hence the reason that they were, you know, trying to stop me. Yeah. And so I reckon that they just sort of, in the end, said, it's a waste of time with him. Yeah. There's nothing that they could do. And there wasn't. There was nothing they could possibly do. So what'd they do? Uh, Tell me to leave. I had to sign a form. And then I had to, I left. But I, I also said to them, I said, look, what I'd really like is I'd like you to hit me because I can take that bruise, do a little video really quickly and just show the way that you are. And if you don't do it, I'm going to do it to myself and say it was you. And that's basically when they were going, you know what, let's just get him out. All right. So it's one of my, um, my it's the one of my greatest disappointments will be if I can't go back. No, you'll go back. We'll go back. I think that everybody should go and I think that everybody should. I think I think what you did was the right thing. Um, <clears throat> pushing the envelope, challenging these low lives is, is the best thing anybody can do. I think um, in terms of the risk, the risk for people who are white and, you know, have a foreign passport is, is pretty, is, is not very great. And especially at the airport, especially at the at the border crossings, challenging them, um, not answering their questions, never giving them names, never telling them um, <clears throat> where you've been or what you've done, um, is absolutely the right thing to do. They are low life uh, intelligence officers, basically. You know, as opposed to say here in America, where security at the airport is like, you know, these are like. It's, 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 uh, their job is to see that, you know, to, to check your passport, to check your ID, that's it. The job of the <clears throat> airport security um, in Tel Aviv or at the bridges is intelligence gathering. Uh -huh, exactly. You can tell those questions. But they want to see, they want to find that there's intelligence gathering. So, but they don't have any authority. They have no authority. They can't make you miss your flight. They're not allowed. They can't keep you for leaving. No. Um, and so the best thing to do is, of course, to challenge them and, uh, and tell them exactly what you think about them, uh, because you're probably right. And they're probably even worse than what you think about them. So that was the right thing to do. And I always encourage people to, you know, to, to challenge them and never show them your, your, you know, they want to see your phone. They want to see your laptop, you know, to, to refuse because they got no right to, to, it's none of their, it's none of their business really. Well, on, on my way in, I took two phones. Just in case, one yeah. was broken, uh, but they didn't ask. I think I got asked once, and I said no, and they um, and they didn't didn't force the issue. Yeah, well, we probably shouldn't have, shouldn't talk about this openly like this, but but there, I'm, there I'm, there's, there's no question in my mind that there's ways to get back in. Freeze Maybe we'll keep it on the lowdown. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But uh, <laughs> we should definitely plan and then send selfies to everybody to say. We're here. We're back. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a problem. You're the guy with a problem, but I'll, yeah. I'll I'll be there with you, you know, holding your hand and supporting you in your time of need. Okay, Jamil, any other questions? I mean, what's the next question? Yeah, this one is from William. The question is to both of you: What is the one focal point that pro-Palestinian justice activists may use to catch politicians' attention and to use in letters to the editor? Oh, very good. Robert, what do you think? I'm going to go after you. This is your league. 
Well, the latest, the latest hit, the the great, the latest greatest hit that designers have come up with is this new definition. Oh, he's wearing his glasses finally. <laughs> well, I was waiting for you to wear your glasses. Is this new definition of the um, of anti-Semitism? It's called the IHRA, or the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, working definition of anti-Semitism, which is basically a shield to protect Israel from criticism. So anything and everything that we said during this uh, last hour or so is anti-Semitic now, according to that. And both government and non-governmental agencies around the world have been adopting this new definition. And I mean, universities, um, uh, again, government, government, state, different states and so forth. Um, and different organizations. And uh, it does, like I said, it shields Israel from criticism because now if you've adopted it, anything you say against Israel is basically anti-Semitic, which means it's racist. And it also gags and binds the people who adopt this, the organizations who adopt this, because now nobody within this within the organization can say anything about Israel because the minute they'll say it, it will be anti-Semitic they will be called anti-Semitic. Now, Israel is the most racist, violent entity, or one of the most, I don't know if it's the most, but certainly one of the most racist, violent entities on the face of the earth today. There's no question about that. It's a racist state. It's a racist endeavor. It's violent beyond, beyond any, 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 any boundaries or, or levels. And so... <clears throat> it needs to protect itself and the way to protect itself is to say, well, if you attack me, if you criticize me, you are the racist. And the, and the incredible thing is people are buying into this and government after government in the United States, state after state, the State Department, the US State Department has adopted it, universities are adopting it and so forth. Um, and in Europe and in the UK and so forth. So I think today the most important, one of the most, the probably the, the issue is to expose this, to expose this for what it is. The new definition of anti-Semitism has nothing to do with protecting Jews against anti-Semitism, but no. has everything to do with protecting Israel with its racist, violent policies. So it does the opposite. Any criticism. Yes. Anything. So I would say that is where uh, right now, uh, people should put their put their efforts to expose this, to expose this, to expose this, and not to be afraid to say Israel is a racist endeavor. It's a racist regime that must be transformed. It must be pushed away to give room to a real democracy with equal rights and the right of return. This should be the way to do it. I'm just going to say too, if you, if you can get numbers rather than just one letter. Uh, I know here that there is a certain amount of letters that have to get sent before they actually have to act on it right. you know, with a response. They don't have to respond on one here or two there. So you get a group, send 60 letters in, it's a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. Organize, get your neighbors, get your neighbor across the lawn with uh, that saw you on TikTok. Oh, he's definitely in. He's definitely in there. Get him in, get him to sign the, sign the letter and send it. Yeah, yeah, 50, 60 people. I mean, it's not hard to do between family members and friends um, and send a letter and make sure your, your elected officials or non-elected officials 
know where you stand on this and, and that you expect yeah. them to act. And at the same time, support BDS, support the boycott, uh, boycott, divestment and sanctions. You know, you and I have pictures together here in Washington, D.C. with our BDS buttons on yeah. and in Palestine. That's your signature. Some, yeah, so that is my signature. Today I wore this. This is the Pali Roots t-shirt that I just got as a gift. It's a lovely gift. It says Alal Kofiya, you know, the Kofiya, the Palestinian scarf. Um, and it's got the Kofiya on the back, if you can see. No, I like the Kofiya on your chair. Yeah, well, I got a lot of Kofiyas on my chair. I've got a Kofiya, and I've got a South African... A thing from South Africa. South Africa. Well, I thought it looked really good as one. I thought it was one. Oh, no, it's two different things. This is a scarf that I got when I was in South Africa. And then I've got this, which has Jerusalem. Nice. And I've got my own black and white kofia. So, yeah, I've got kofias from here up to kazoo. But this, I love this shirt. It's a, it was a gift from a good friend. And it's lovely. You know, the kofia looks good. a Palestinian uh, symbol. So, yeah. But uh, those are things to do, you know, the BDS and then, and then fighting this IHRA nonsense, this new definition. And this whole idea, basically, that, that criticizing Israel is racist is, 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 is absurd, is mind-boggling, is crazy. It's stupid. Yeah. Anything? Well, what's, what's next, uh, Jamil? This one is from Mia. The question is, if I'm planning to make a documentary in Hebron, do I need any permissions or do I risk getting arrested? I am a European citizen with dual Israeli citizenship. I think you'd be okay as a uh, as a you know an overseas person. I, I truly do. And I mean, Miko will correct me if I'm wrong, but I reckon if you ask, they'd say no. So yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ask permission. Uh, now, of course, if you were going in with a whole team of. Uh, you know, camera uh, people and, and directors and producers, then it's going to raise some eyebrows. But if you just go with your camera, a little camera or phone, make sure you go to the YAS Center, the Youth Against Settlements, make sure you talk to the people there, Isa Amro and his people, uh, and they'll give you the tour and they'll, you'll be, and just, or just walk around the city. I mean, you can just drive there. Um, there's lots to see, absolutely, yeah. I, I was going to say, I also, uh, I had some hidden cameras that I use just in case uh, something happened, so. Yeah. Hey, I got a quick call here. I got, I, I really have to take, ask Robert the next question and I'll be right back. It'll take two this seconds. This is unheard of. This'll take two seconds. This ask is unheard Robert, of. Ask Robert the next question, I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> All right. What do you got? There's a lot of questions there. Thanks everybody and thanks to, <laughs> Everybody for listening. It's a uh, this has been fun. Yeah, I wish we could get to all of these, and and they're all over the place. Um, let's go with this one. Um, can you shed any light on the frequent demolishing of Palestinian homes? Was that something that you interacted with or talked with family? Did, did you meet families who had? Uh, yeah, so I, had I did. I actually demolished. witnessed. I actually I witnessed some houses getting knocked over. Uh, and I was, I remember the school girls being the daughters and the mother after the house had been demolished, just standing there, not knowing what to do because all of their stuff was in this house. And although they also had a whole lot of soldiers everywhere just to make sure that they didn't kick up a stink. And so, but look, it's happening. It's not stopping. It'll continue to, to go. 
if you're interested in finding stuff out, Google Jeff Halper, House Demolitions, because he's been, he's an Israeli guy that's been doing this for years. And uh, he has all the statistics of what's going on, you know, what's been demolished, when demolished, uh, potential de demolitions as well. Uh, but um, one, one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. You do some research by Googling Jeff Halper. Okay. Um, there's another question here from Una. Um, what do you think of breaking the silence? Are you, are you familiar with that group by chance? Yes, I, uh, I am. And I've, I've met a few people in it. And I'll give you two sides to it. Two sides. One is a lot of people don't like them because what they did was illegal. They're admitting to doing things that are illegal and they are not getting charged with these illegal things that they've done. And in Australia or America or wherever you're from, if I went into the police station and I said, I have beaten three people, I feel bad, the government made me do it, will you let me off? What do you think would happen? I'm going to get charged, as I should. The other side to the breaking the silence is the fact that we need them. You need to have Israelis who have been in the thick of it, raised as Zionists, working as a soldier, admitting to doing the things that, uh, that are wrong. And if they charge them and put them in jail, they'll stop doing it. So you pick the side that you're on. I'm on a bit of both. And it depends what day and it depends what I've read about <laughs> in Palestine and what's going on over there. Uh, but I, I, as I said, I met some of them. I've read their books, and I just don't know if I can reconcile the fact that the uh, you know the Palestinians that were hurt by these people uh, not getting anything for it, not an apology, nothing. You said something That's about books. You said something about books. Books, yeah. Have you have you have you read any? Have you written any? Actually, Mika, just just on this, you should you should. What's your what's your take on breaking the silence? That's what I was just finishing. Um, well, I got both sides. Well, I think I think it's a good idea. It's a good initiative. I think it's important for these soldiers to be able to come out there and say what they did. Um, I think they can go farther. I think um, I think that unless they actually stand up and call on all young Israelis to refuse to serve, yep, they're missing the target. I mean, it's all good and great to tell everybody how bad it is and what they did, but okay, now what? Yep. It's, like, it's like you're shooting and missing the target on purpose. Yeah, you yep. shot, great, but you're missing the target. The target is to stop it. And the only way to stop it is to get Israeli, so young Israelis to absolutely refuse to serve. Now, we have an entire community of the Orthodox Jews that you and I talked about in Masharim and other places who are who refuse to serve? We're talking about thousands and thousands of young Jews, you know, who refuse to serve. Orthodox, ultra-orthodox Jews who will say, "We will not serve in this army. We will not serve in your army. We will not serve in the Zionist army," and they get punished heavily for this. From time to time, but th there's no, there's hardly any press. There's hardly any coverage of that. Um, <clears throat> from time to time, you have a guy who or a girl. Who is a kind of a you know a, you know a secular Israeli, 
who comes up and refuses to serve, then they get they get a lot of press and they get this treatment of being heroic and so on. Whereas they're just doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, they're just doing the right thing, basically. I don't think they what they're doing. I mean, you know, good for them. They're going to sit in jail for a few weeks and and so forth. But eventually, they're going to be released and they're going to be fine. But the price that they're going to pay is very, very small. Um, so I think that breaking the silence is making a big mistake or missing a big opportunity by not clearly stating that every young Israeli must, must refuse to serve in the IDF. Um, because again, if you're, it's, like, it's, like, it's like being an activist, but never talking about the end game. Well, why are we here? What are we talking about? What is free Palestine? Unless we define what is a free Palestine, which is a Palestine that is not Zionist. It's a Palestine that is free from the river to the sea, that is free from, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lebanese border in the north to the Gulf of Aqaba in the south, where there is complete equal rights, one person, one vote, where the refugees are, uh, where there's a mechanism for the refugees to return. You know, we have to define these things so that we know where we're going. Just to say things are bad, Israel is bad, Israel is bad. Okay, well, what are we talking about? What are we fighting, you know? Um, and again, what they're doing, and many of these, many of the Israeli groups actually do this, is they come out and they expose things, but then they fall short of an actual target, an actual aim. And the aim, I believe, should be that every Israeli uh, men and women, all these young people re absolutely refuse to serve it. If they don't refuse to serve, that means they are participating. I don't, really, yeah. I don't care if they're a cook or driver or, or, or a sniper. They are all participating in a massive crime, in a massive, massive war crime. So that's my take on that. Let's do one more. Should we do one more? And then wrap it up. Sure. This last one is from Ty. Uh, this might be a this might be a tough one, but you you both probably have some insights into this. Uh, what percentage do you estimate of the Israeli population supports a one state equal rights position? <laughs> Ty, that information uh, definitely out there now. What what would uh, it be? That that information would be out there. Oh, zero point zero 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 zero. I mean, I think I think out of I don't know, they're about. Six million Israelis. Uh, there might be six people. There might be six people who supported this idea. So what, what, I don't know what percent that is. Is that one family? One one large family, maybe two. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like saying, you know, how many whites in South Africa wanted to see apartheid end? Why would they want to see apartheid end? When you're privileged, you don't want to give up your privilege. You know, yeah, so, it all works for you, doesn't it? So look at the results of the, you know, Israel has had a lot of elections lately. They're having another election coming up in, uh, uh, in March, the fourth one in two years, which just shows you what a stable democracy it is. Um, <clears throat> it's falling apart at the seams, but um, look at the results. Yeah, of the, look, look at the results of the elections. I mean, look at the results of the elections. Out of 120 members, 115... I'm sorry, 105 are racists who support everything Israel has done to the Palestinians over the last 100 years. The only 15, the last 15 are, you know, the joint list who are Palestinians, basically. 
um, and our kind of non, you know, the, the non-Zionist uh, parties, but that's it. So, I mean, Israelis support what Israeli government does. Uh, you know, in some places people like to say, well, it's not the people, it's the government. No, it's the people. Israelis support the government, they vote in high numbers, and this is what they vote for. So there's not a, there's not going to be, this is not going to happen as a result of a referendum where Israelis wake up one morning feeling great and saying, yes, let's be kind. It's not how it works. It's time. <laughs> it's time to be good. Let's do this. They're going to have to be hit with a two by four. And that two by four, I believe, is BDS. Boom. And that two by four is BDS. And they're on their knees. <clears throat> they can't participate in the Olympics. When they can't participate in the World Cup, when they can't participate in academic conferences, when they, when nobody, you know, when, when people follow Roger Waters, who we had, who we spoke to a few weeks ago about, about Julian Assange and follow his lead and, and, and refuse to perform in Israel. Uh, when these things happen, when Israelis feel it in that way, you know, people say, oh, BDS is hopeless because the Israeli economy is strong. BDS is more than just the economy. It's not about just breaking down the economy, bringing it down. It's about these things that Israelis can see that they cannot go anywhere, that they are kicked out of the Olympics. It's about this type of uh, humiliation, if you will, where they're brought down on their knees. And then while they're on their knees, they can take advantage of that moment and apologize for 100 years of dispossession and, and oppression of, and, and, and humiliation of the Palestinians. So we can, they can do that at the same time. But that is how Israelis are going to change, and that is how Palestine is going to change and, be, and become a real, a real thriving democracy. This is exactly how it's going to happen. Lock it. Well, you know what? Um, I think uh, we've, you know, I mean, we could do this all night. I certainly love you, Robert, and, and nothing makes me happier than seeing your face and chatting with you. Um, but it is. Always got things to do. <laughs> it, has, but it has been. It has been uh, an hour and a half, and uh, it's been wonderful. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time, your work. I'll do it again. Friendship, your humor, your courage, your good looks. Good looks. <laughs> and uh, we must uh, must do this again. This has been great, and I want to wish you and everybody a happy new year. This year has been kind of difficult, so I'm, I think moving up is, is really the only way. So I'm really wishing everybody a happy, a better new year than this year has been. Um, health and happiness to you and your kids and everybody else. And um, let's keep fighting for a free Palestine. And you are a, an important, important, important part of the struggle. You have contributed a lot your it presence has been incredibly meaningful. You know this, Palestinians have come up and said this to you. They, Like I said, they say this to me, oh, I can't believe you're the guy who we saw next to Robert Martin and wow. So, I mean, <laughs> I get this a lot and I do get this a lot. And as, as much as it hurts my ego, I enjoy it because I love you and it's great. I appreciate that. And so um, well, let's keep doing what we're doing and then just grow the grow this the circle you know include more people include yeah. the neighbor across the lawn include anybody and everybody um you know i was um <clears throat> i had an opportunity to talk to somebody who just saw me i just had a little booklet that said the word palestine on it turns out he was in palestine his wife is jewish 
they love it. They they think Palestine is a great thing on greatest thing on earth. Yeah, They're convincing yeah. their family members. You know, so you're suddenly having suddenly you have this conversation with somebody you never expected to. Yeah. So that's this is why I, when I used to wear the shirts, I, I used to call yeah. them a conversation starter. Yeah. Some people would not like it so much, but others would go, "What does this mean?" It's yeah. a great way to start up a conversation. And you had great shirts too. You always had some fantastic Palestine shirts. Yeah, I'll, I'll start wearing them again. Yeah. So, you know, let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's do more this year. I want to talk to you actually specifically about some, about a project that I have in mind uh, that I'm okay. working on. And we'll get you on my radio show again. Together. Yeah, well. Great. That'll be awesome. So again, thank you everybody for listening, for tuning in. Thank you, my good friend. I love you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year and God bless. Talk to you soon. Say bye. All right.